All right, guys, so uh, I'm back here with a solo pod. Like I said in the last one, Tiz is uh, currently on vacation. So uh, it sucks, though, because I wish he was here to talk about this card because, honestly, there's so many storylines. Like, the card itself was really exciting. Like, the fight's delivered 100% on ABC. And, well... (laughs) Almost all the fights delivered. I mean, obviously, the main event was the main event. Um, I guess, you know, we could just get into that one. But uh, Yair Rodriguez defeated Brian Ortega by first-round TKO, technically. Um, Yeah, he looked good on the feet early. Uh, Ortega, he was starting to pick it up a tiny bit with the grappling. But um, Yair did lock him up real quick in an arm bar. But Ortega did manage to scramble out of it, but while scrambling out of it, he like popped his shoulder out of the socket, which ends the fight right there. You know, it sucks because you know with a main event like that with two like with two Mexican warriors who are always going to come to fight, and uh, it's it's just unfortunate. Like you never and Ortega's had shoulder problems in the past too, apparently. So like you don't really want to you don't want to see that with one of the best fighters in any division. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's just really tough to see. I mean, I hope at some point they run it back because I'll be just as excited as I was for this one. I mean, I think on a healthy night for both of them, we get five fantastic rounds. But, uh, you know, it, it's MMA. I mean, these things happen sometimes. It didn't, it's, uh, it's a rough sport, you know. Injuries are going to occur, and sometimes they're going to occur in big spots, and this being one of them. But... The thing is, this, it, it kind of like, it almost makes sense though for 145. Like this almost like is the perfect time for some like unpredictable anticlimactic shit like this to happen. Uh, it's just because, you know, Alex Volkanovsky, he's basically proven that he's the best 145 on the planet. Like I've said a thousand times on this pod, I think he, Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter in the world pound for pound. So... At 145 right now, I don't really see any challenges that are going to even really make him sweat at 145 right now. So that's, I think that's why he wants to go up to 155. And ironically enough, there was some pretty good information that was dropped on this broadcast. Uh, Charles Oliveira and Islam Makashev has now been officially booked for UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi. It's funny because Islam wanted to fight Dubronx in Brazil, but... Ironically enough, now Charles Oliveira is fighting uh, Islam Makhachev in technically his backyard because you know he's going to get a lot of support in Abu Dhabi. But the reason mainly why I bring that up now is because since this fight ended in such like an anticlimactic way, we don't really have a number one contender that's like, you know, really set in stone at 145 like... I personally think if it was a just world that Josh Emmett should be fighting for the title, but we don't live in that type of world. We live in Dana White's world. So I think that uh, the way to go with this is to have Alex wait it out, which he probably was going to anyway because he broke his uh, his finger in the last Holloway fight. But it would be nice to see him fight the winner of uh, Charles versus Islam if nobody else rightfully stakes that claim at 155 because the only reason why I was mad that the Charles fight with Islam got booked is because uh, where does this leave Benil Darius like the guy's one of the best fighters in the world I think he could beat either of those guys possibly possibly 
you know, I'm not saying outright, but I think he could possibly beat Oliveira or Islam, but he just keeps getting screwed. And I mean, I know he got hurt, but it is what it is, I guess. I mean, and sometimes in MMA, you get passed up and Islam is a star. He's a phenom, obviously being Habib's protege. You know, him versus Oliveira is a crazy fight in itself. I can't wait to break that down when the time comes. I mean, even right now, I don't have like a clear cut idea of what's going to happen. But, you know, either way with that one, whether Islam or Charles wins, and if there's no other contender at 155, or honestly, even if there is, I'd still like to see Volkanovski go up and fight for that title because I think he's earned the right. And while he's doing that, I think there'll be enough time where an interim title fight will actually make sense. Like in the UFC, we know that sometimes they'll make interim title fights for fucking bullshit. Like, look at the next flyweight interim title fight in the next pay-per-view, UFC 277. I mean, do we really need an interim title with, on the line with Kai Kara France and uh, Brandon Moreno? And this is coming from a guy who loves both those guys compared to the current champion. But I, there's just no point of it sometimes. And But at 145, I think this would be the time, if any, to have an interim belt because I think Volkanovski's future right now is at 155, and I think that he should go up while it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, Because the winner of this fight right now doesn't have a set-in-stone uh, contender at 155, so I think Alex could definitely slide right into that spot and fight the winner of Charles versus Islam while Yemet, or Yair and Josh Emmett uh, fight for an interim 145-pound belt. But... Yeah, it's, it's weird for such an anticlimactic ending. There's actually a pretty, like, obvious route to take with the fights. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a bit of a different format, though, because Tiz is not here, so I can't really transition it as well as I'd like to because I'm basically talking to myself. But, uh, yeah, with that, we'll just get right into the co-main event with my lock of the night, Amanda Lemos. So now that we tackled the main event, we could talk about the rest of the card. And in the co-main, like I said on uh, Instagram, and I said it on the last Hurt Handbook, Amanda Lemos was my lock of the night. I think that this was just a horrible matchup for Michelle Waterson to come back to. Michelle Waterson Gomez. Uh, that's what it said on her trunks and what John Anik was saying. I think Gomez is her husband's last name, so God respect that. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, the first round of this one was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Um, Amanda Lemos seemed to be, like, picking her shots more and really trying to see what Michelle had to offer. And Michelle was actually landing, like, a decent amount of leg kicks, but they didn't seem like they were doing as much damage as the punches by Lemos was doing. So I think that round one, despite it being very close, and honestly, like, a lot of people seem to be giving it to Waterson, but I gave it to Amanda Lemos because I think the damage was winning out in that case. But, um... Round two, kind of going similarly, but uh, round two basically had the finish, obviously, and uh, Amanda Lemos got that guillotine over Michelle Waterson Gomez, and I mean, I, I said it on Instagram, uh, Amanda Lemos' jiu-jitsu is just as good as her stand-up, and I thought that Michelle Waterson was going to have a hard time no matter where this fight went, and that guillotine was locked up quick, and it was nasty, and honestly... Uh, Amanda Lemos is very lucky that the ref did not, uh, like, I don't know how to put this. I guess she's lucky that Michelle Waterson Gomez is a classy fighter because the ref did not see Michelle tap. And if Michelle was 
really almost any other fighter, she probably would have just kept going and acted like she didn't tap. And then, you know, probably would have gotten exposed in between rounds, but still doesn't matter. It's the name of the game. I mean, we've seen things like this happen. Um, you know, in, M- M- in MMA, like, it's such a brutal sport. Like, there, there's so much on the line constantly, like, in terms of, like, physically, obviously, and then monetarily, you know, because in the UFC, there's the show, bo- uh, the show money and the win money. So, you know, certain fighters, it's like their livelihood and uh, they might only get their show money if in a situation like that. But Michelle Waterson, she's classy and obviously she's probably made her money in the UFC. She's been a big star for a while. But uh, yeah, I mean, she got locked up in the guillotine, tapped, the ref really didn't see it, but Amanda Lemos let go, which she probably shouldn't have done. But you know, nothing bad happened, thankfully, because of it. Amanda still gets her win because Michelle is one of the classiest fighters in the UFC. I don't really know where Michelle goes from here. She's been saying that she wants an Adam Weight division in the UFC. I personally wouldn't mind that. For anybody who doesn't know, Adam Weight would be 105. And there are like some uh, good fighters at 115 who have had success in Adam Weight because uh, Adam Weight does exist mostly, in, uh, I think. I don't know if it's in a lot of other promotions, but I know for a fact it's in Invicta FC, which is the all-female fighting promotion. And Michelle Waterson had a lot of success there. She was the champ at Adam Wade, I'm pretty sure, in uh, Invicta. But, um, you know, either way, great win for Amanda Lemos. Like I said, that loss to Jessica Andrade was nothing to, like, really hang her head about. Andrade is one of the best fighters in women's MMA, like, in general. So uh, no, no shame in losing to someone like that. But even in that fight, Amanda Lemos, like before the submission, she looked all right. It was, uh, it was just like, you know, Jessica Andrade is one of the strongest fighters at any weight class she fights in, which is kind of crazy considering she mainly fights at 115. But, uh, well, now she, I don't even know though, because now like she was originally booked, I guess, going up at 125 against Manon Furat. So I don't know what Andrade is trying to do with her weight right now, but she, uh, she did have to pull out of that fight versus Furat. So right now she's kind of in limbo. Lauren Murphy did call her out. I guess we can just get right into that. Lauren Murphy destroyed Misha Tate. And I kind of figured that that was going to happen. Lauren was my underdog of the night. And uh, she did very well. You know, Misha, she's a pioneer of women's MMA. No one can ever take that away from her. But sometimes you have to look at a fight like straight and narrow. And you can't like mince words I guess even if someone's a legend and Misha Tate she's really good on the ground but on the feet sometimes it seems like she really struggles to close like the distance because when she does so she tends to eat jabs or elbows or counter hooks and it always seems like win or lose she's just taking like a lot of damage and in this fight with someone who is as strong as Lauren Murphy is and who's as good at boxing as she is I figured that she was probably going to take a lot of damage, and that's exactly what happened. I don't know if she broke her orbital, but Misha Tate's face was very, very swollen at the end of that fight, like right under her eye by her cheek. So I don't know for sure if that was just a broken orbital or if that was just bad swelling, but uh, Lauren Murphy just looked incredible. She defended every takedown that Tate threw at her. And she just looked good on the feet at basically all times. Like the only success that Misha really had in this fight was some moments up against the cage and on clinch breaks. But Lauren Murphy looked great on the clinch breaks too, to be honest. You know, 
this was just the case that Lauren Murphy, you know, she's the number three flyweight in the world, and she deserves to be. And she's looking onward and upward. And I like that because a lot of people who fight Valentina, they seem like they're almost like mentally broken by it and they don't, they're, they're not like in a rush to get back to the title. But um, Lauren Murphy has said that this, like her fight versus Valentina was more of like a learning experience for her. And I love her passion. She says she will not stop until she gets that title. And she's doing a good job at calling her shots trying to get there. Like I said, Andrade was, Jessica Andrade was supposed to be fighting Manon Furat in France, but uh, she did have to pull out of that fight. I'm not 100% sure why. Probably should have looked that up, but uh, either way, that's not like the main point of this. But she is out of that fight, and um, now it is Manon Furat versus Caitlin Chukagian. And uh, Lauren Murphy, I think, has fought Caitlin Chukagian before. I just don't know how that fight... Let's see. Been, it's definitely been a bit since that fight. I know that. Yeah, she lost to Caitlin Chukagian by unanimous decision in like 2016. I could see them running that back if Chukagian manages to get through Furat, which I don't know if she's going to be able to do. That's a good fight in itself. But I just like the call out by Lauren Murphy because a lot of the times I see in the UFC, like they make the, they make the mistake of... Uh, not really promoting themselves and leaving it all up to the promotion, which is kind of stupid in my opinion because this is a money sport. And if you really promote yourself and you make people want to watch you, the UFC is going to do you a lot of favors. Like they don't want to hear someone say, oh, I'll fight whoever Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard want me to fight. Like that makes their job harder. It, Lauren Murphy tells the, the, the fans and the matchmakers who she wants next. And now they can do something about it. And I'm excited for either of those fights, whatever ends up happening in the flyweight division. And Lauren Murphy, with that, she puts herself right back into the title conversation. While people like Caitlin Chukagan, who keeps saying she's going to fight the next person up, you don't even really hear her being talked about in the title conversation, even though she's the number one contender. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Lauren Murphy, she's doing it right. I'm a huge fan of her as it is. And rightfully so after this fight i mean hopefully more people got to see that because it was on abc so uh lauren murphy looked great against an mma legend and glad to see it honestly for her but i guess we can get into some of the other fights on this card so we did have some wars and some knockouts on this card like i said besides the main event this card really delivered like there were so many action-packed fights and great moments and I'll start with the moments just because they're quicker than the, the wars. I definitely want to get into the two wars that I'm going to talk about. Uh, definitely a little more in depth. But two great knockouts that I just had to at least mention were uh, by Li Jing Liang over Muslim Salakov, which is a tough, tough fight for Li Jing Liang. So I'm happy that he, uh, he got that win because I'm a big fan of his. But also Punahele Soriano got a great knockout. And that dude's just got the some of the heaviest hands I think I've seen in the UFC as of late. Um, sometimes his cardio tends to be an issue, but in this one, it didn't really matter. And uh, it seems like he's getting better and better as every fight goes on. So I'm excited to see both those guys fight because they're both in pretty stacked divisions. So, uh, but like I said, I didn't want to spend too much time on those. I just really wanted to mention that those knockouts were awesome. But uh, to the two just fantastic fights that we had on this main card, uh, First being New York native, Shane Burgos versus Charles Jourdain. Now, that was a close fight. And uh, really, it comes down to round one. 
because round one was really close. I gave it to Shane Burgos. DC gave it to Charles Jordan. I'm not really 100%. Well, I, I can't say I'm not sure how because Jordan did outstrike Shane Burgos. But when you're just watching the fight, like not using statistics, Shane Burgos looked pretty good in round one. And I love how like DC... And, like, the commentary crew, they go to, like, one MMA judging seminar, and now DC thinks he's, like, the authority on MMA judging. He's like, he's like, Jordan won round one. Be sure about that. Jordan won round one. Jordan did not get round one, I don't think, on one scorecard. So, you know, really shows how much DC knows about MMA judging compared to the rest of us. That's, like, the one thing I don't like about some of the commentators in the UFC sometimes. Like, they're amazing, and they break things down so well. But sometimes they think they're like the only people on the planet who can break down a fight, which is ridiculous to say the least. And like, you know, I don't want to talk too much shit because I mean, I love DC, but it's just like you don't got to like be the end all be all on it. You know what I mean? Like other people can watch a fight and know how to score it without going to a seminar, which apparently wasn't right in the first place, considering that Shane Burgos won the fight. But round one was close. Shane Burgos won round one. I don't know if you want to say clearly, but I think he won it on all three scorecards, so I don't really know what DC was looking at in that one. Actually, I think he, Jordan might have won it in one. You know, let's find this out. Let's read these scorecards, because I know they were a little bit weird, because I think there was a 10-8 in there, but it was for Shane Burgos. And just talking about the rest of the fight, Shane Burgos looked good in round two. Same reason why he looked good in round one. I mean, his grappling looked incredible. He had a long time of back control. He was going for chokes the whole time. So I gave Burgos rounds one and two right there. And then Jordan looked insane in round three. He almost finished Shane Burgos like, up against the cage a couple times there. But um, the thing is, I thought that if there was any 10-8 round, I thought that it would be round three for uh, Charles Jordan. But it wasn't. It was just, um, it was round two for Shane Burgos. And that was like a good round for Burgos, don't get me wrong. But I didn't think it was like a 10-8 by any stretch. Okay, and by the way, I got the scorecards up. Charles Jordan got the first round on one of the judges' scorecards. While Burgos got round one on the other two. And yeah, that's just so weird. I can't believe they gave Burgos a 10-8 in round two. That's the same one who gave Jordan round one, though. So I kind of disagree with that one, Mike Bell. But Shane Burgos gets the win by majority decision at home in New York. Maybe that was why he got the decision. I don't really think that New York is like that as much as uh, some other places are like that. But, um, you know, Shane Burgos got the win one way or another. He uh, said he was fighting to renew his UFC contract, so... What are we doing? I mean, Shane Burgos is one of the most exciting fighters in any division, so let's get him back on the roster, please. I don't care where he's ranked. I'm always looking forward to a Shane Burgos fight. But right now, I'm looking forward to every Matt Schnell fight that is to come because his comeback over Sue Muderji, is it right? Sue Muda, I don't know. I'm not even going to try and say that any, uh, as much anymore. But Matt Schnell, he had one of the comebacks of the century against uh, against his opponent. And round one was incredibly close. I thought that uh, Sue looked good on top. But the thing is, it was only for like half the round. And then Matt Schnell, he managed to lock up. It was like, an, I think it was an omoplata. And he swept uh, Sue right on basically like, he. I think... 
this fight was wild. So the round two was a lot more wild than round one. So round one was a little bit hazy to me. I probably should have rewatched this one, but uh, Schnell, you know, he got the he got the reversal. But then at the end of round one, he was landing some good ground and pound, and because of that, I gave it to Schnell. You know, it's not how you start; it's how you finish. But uh, round two, I mainly just wanted to talk about that round of the year, possibly. And uh, I think that it was just incredible from start to finish. This might have been one of the best fights of the night, honestly, if not fight of the night. I'm not sure if it won it. I didn't see who won the bonuses on this one. Let's see if uh, this one got any love. Hopefully it did from the UFC brass. Six performance of the nights. Love seeing that. Uh, okay, yeah, fight of the night. Thank God. <laughs> Need to see that. But, um, yeah, Sue... Sue he started the round very strong. He was punishing Matt Schnell coming in with just a ton of powerful left hooks as well as like a bunch of elbows. And he had Schnell pretty much out on his feet. Like he almost finished him a few times there. He dropped him a couple times. But the thing is, Matt Schnell, he's a dog. I mean, his chin is insane, always has been. That's why he's always known for putting up a crazy fight, win or lose. But, uh, you know, it just, I don't know if, I don't even think Sue got really, like, over-anxious to get the finish. I think Matt Schnell just happened to land a couple good punches, and then that seemed to hurt Sue. And then Schnell got him down with a great take, great timing on a takedown. And uh, from there, he got full mount and was just raining ground and pound on, uh, on Sue. But from there, it was actually crazy. Like, you thought that was going to be at the end of the fight. But then Sue reverses him. But right from there, Matt Schnell has a great triangle and honestly has a lot of good submissions off his back. He's very underrated from there. I think it's because sometimes he tends to settle if he doesn't get the first couple submissions. Like, he'll settle on his back for a while and for the whole round. And that makes his takedown defense look worse and stuff like that. So it does make his ground game, I don't I don't know how to say this without sounding like disrespectful. Like it almost makes like it almost makes him look worse than he actually is on the ground because sometimes when he does settle, like it makes him look like there's a lack of effort, which obviously there isn't. He's probably just a little bit tired as the the round goes on after you're scrambling for submissions. But in this one, he locked up the triangle and got it like no problem. And he put Sue to sleep. Like the picture that I think I posted on uh on our story on the Instagram, but like the picture of Sue just laying on Matt Schnell's leg unconscious, one of the coldest pictures of 2022 in MMA, gotta say that, but yeah, that, the main card was just incredible for UFC Long Island, the energy was just insane in New York as it is, it always it will be, and um, even the prelims were kind of crazy, and uh, I think we should just get right into those. So nowadays, it is not often that a UFC fight night has prelims that even captivate us. Uh, that's because it seems like, you know, me and Tiz have talked about this like a million times, but uh, the UFC with the new ESPN deal, which ESPN Plus, by the way, going up by a few dollars, crazy, because the pay-per-view keeps going up, ESPN Plus keeps going up, it is expensive to be a UFC fan. But I guess it's not expensive if you illegally stream it. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, back to the UFC though. They they do tend to like stack certain fight nights, and it seems like nowadays they stack the ones that are gonna be on ABC, and rightfully so, because that you know obviously expands the audience of of uh of the promotion. And you know I can't even complain because cards like this are electric. 
from start to finish. And this one was electric from start to finish. You know, a couple great performances. In the first fight of the night, the energy was already there in Long Island. It seems like the, the arena was already packed because of how loud it was for the first fight of the night between Emily Ducote and uh, Jessica Panay, who was ranked number 14 in, at 115. And... Emily just looked incredible in this fight versus Jessica. Her calf kicks were there all night. She was just picking her apart from a distance and really just was a brutal, brutal win over Jessica Panay. And she's already now ranked in the UFC, which is crazy considering I think this was her first UFC fight. Let's just make sure of that. Got the old topology up there. Uh, yeah, her first UFC fight. And she's already ranked now. Emily looked really good in this one. And... There's not really much else I have to say. I mean, Jessica Panay is a really good fighter, and she's very experienced, has a lot of high-level training partners. She trains with Angela Hill out of uh, Alliance MMA, and obviously she's getting help from Dominic Cruz, too, who's one of the best fighters of this generation. But uh, Emily looked good against Jessica Panay, and I think she should be thrusted right into the top 10. And speaking of fighters who should be thrusted right into the top 10, Dustin Jacoby, you know, how many more wins does this guy have to get to fight a top-ranked opponent? I mean, his knockout was fantastic. Beautiful one-two, as clean as you could possibly get. Watching that in slow motion was just amazing. Obviously, I got into MMA through boxing, so I, I love a good one-two right down the pipe that knocks someone out cold like that. But uh, mainly on this one, I wanted to talk about what I want to see from him next. Now... Him versus Dominic Reyes right now for me makes sense. And let me say why. Dustin Jacoby is getting up there in age. I think he's like 37 or 38 years old. And he's starting to get towards the top 10 in the light heavyweight division. And Dominic Reyes, he's had a skid. He, you know, he lost to John Jones in a title fight where a lot of people, including me, think he should have won. But then after that, it seemed like he was mentally... <sighs> I guess just affected by it going into the Jan Blachowicz fight. Thought he was probably like the uncrowned champ coming in and just got destroyed by Jan Blachowicz. And then he looked pretty good against the current light heavyweight champion, Yuri Brohashka, but got knocked out in highlight real fashion with that crazy spinning elbow. One of the craziest knockouts of last year. And he's on a three-fight skid, but it's to three of the best fighters in the division. So right now, I think a fight versus Dustin Jacoby makes sense because technically it's a step back right now in the rankings. It's against an older fighter who he might, you know, have a really good chance of uh, knocking out even. But then again, I don't really know if he can knock him out because Dustin Jacoby is on a crazy run lately and his kickboxing is very precise. I think it'll just be a really good fight on the feet for both guys. And I think that it's just a it, it's a matchup that makes sense because, you know, Dustin Jacoby wants to go up and Dominic Reyes seems to be at a point where he has been losing to the top contenders at one, uh, 205. And I think a fight with someone who's below him makes sense right now because we need to see where he's at, I think, mentally, mentally physically. So that's the fight I want to see. Dustin Jacoby versus Dominic Reyes. I mean... Let me know what you guys think, too. I'd be curious, to, because I feel like I haven't been seeing much of that around. Probably just because this fight was like buried early on the prelims, which I don't think it should have been. I think Dustin Jacoby's really exciting to watch. I think the anytime he'd be on a main card would be fun. But him versus Dominic Reyes, mark that in the books. Need to see that fight next. But besides that, uh, Bill Algio 
broke Herbert Burns, basically. I don't know if it was Herbert Burns' knee or if it was that Herbert was just too tired to get up in round two, but that was just horrible. Herbert Burns looked really good in the beginning of the first round, almost submitting Bill Algio a couple times, but once Bill Algio was able to reverse the position and get on top in half guard, he was just landing so much heavy ground and pound on Burns, and Burns almost seemed like he didn't even want to start round two. Like He barely got up at the end of the first, and... Even in the corner, it seemed like he really had to get motivated to go back out there. And right off the bat, Algio was basically doing the same as he was in round one. And when he ended up getting back to his feet and calling Burns back up, Burns could not answer it. And when he got up, it seemed like he just couldn't get up. And like I said, I think it was partially because of his knee. But on the other hand, I think he was utterly exhausted and that, in my opinion, is the definition of breaking your opponent. Like, Bill Algio can really just say that to himself now that he has broken someone in the UFC. And he broke a pretty high-level opponent in Herbert Burns. Obviously, Herbert is Gilbert's brother. Not as successful right now, obviously, but uh, still great jiu-jitsu nonetheless. But Bill Algio looked great in this one. This is a this was honestly the best comeback of the night before the Matt Schnell fight happened. But um, I guess... I don't even, we got to talk about this as much as I don't want to, because I'm a big fan of Jack Shore, and he has now taken his first loss in the UFC, and that was against Ricky Simone, who is a world-class opponent, and that, that was honestly why I was so hyped when this fight got booked, because it's a matchup between two, like, just really awesome up-and-coming grapplers, and uh, Ricky Simone really seems to be coming into his own at 135 right now. And he really just put it on Jack Shore with the grappling. He looked a lot stronger than him in there. I think now that Jack Shore has had a loss, we're able to figure out like what he needs to improve on. And I think the strength is definitely a big deal at 135 for Jack Shore because he's going to be facing a lot of top grapplers as he goes up there. I mean, there's a lot of guys like Ricky Simone. You know, you got Marab up there. There's Cody Stamen, who's a good grappler. You know, I, I just think that, uh, and even the champion right now is a fantastic grappler. Not that Jack Shore is ready for the championship by any stretch, or it even was before this fight. But uh, I think right now, is, it's it's a good spot to have a loss because Ricky Simone is a really good opponent. He's a great wrestler, and I think he is only going to be going up in that division right now. I just, I don't know. It's tough because at 135, there's just so, so many contenders and so many young up-and-coming guys that we don't really know where Jack Shore is going to be after this fight. And honestly, we don't really know where Ricky Simone's going to be either. I mean, Ricky called out Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's not getting that fight. He's never going to get that fight unless it's for a title. So he should, shouldn't even waste his breath calling him out, honestly. I think he should really be calling other people out uh, at 135. You know, maybe maybe a guy like Frankie Edgar, but I don't really want to see that. Apparently, Frankie Edgar, he wants like a retirement fight versus Dominic Cruz. I don't know if he's going to get that right now. I think if Cruz loses to Chito Vera, then we might get that fight. But if he wins, I don't really know. But I would love to see Ricky Simone versus Marab. That's just two crazy good grapplers right there. And the pace of that fight would just be off the walls. So that's a fight I'd love to see. Marab versus Ricky Simone. And as for Jack Shore, I'd like to see him get in the weight room. You know, build his strength up to deal with some of these great grapplers. But uh, he didn't look horrible. He looked okay on the feet. He was landing some leg kicks, some good jabs. 
But at the end of the day, he just bit off a little bit uh, more than he could chew. But this was just a great card all in all. Told us a lot. I wish we could get these cards more often. I feel like back a few years ago, we were getting them almost every week. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's just the modern UFC, right, with the ESPN deal. And uh, regardless, UFC Long Island was a massive success, in my opinion, even despite the anticlimactic main event. And I love when the UFC goes on ABC because it gives uh, a lot more people a chance to see the best sport in the world, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, there's not really too much else with this card to talk about. There were a few more fights, but nothing I'm really going to get into. And uh, with that, I'll talk a little bit about next week's card in London. So... If you notice it getting a little darker and you see the shadow by my face like I'm telling a scary story, um, I'm not trying to create a horror vibe, I promise. It is just because it is like heavily thunder, like it's a bad thunderstorm outside and it was raining pretty bad before. It's not raining right now, but uh, it's just pretty dark out. I'll probably try and fix it as much as I can in editing, but I don't know, maybe I'll keep it like this. It's like a scary story, you know what I'm saying? But not really telling a scary story, just giving you guys some predictions for uh, next week's UFC London card. Again, like I said, I wish Tiz was with me for this, but it's almost like he is in spirit because as you guys will find out, me and Tiz agreed on all three of our picks that we're gonna talk that I'm gonna talk about in this one. So starting right off with the main event, Tom Aspinall versus Curtis Blades. Um, you know, I just think Tom Aspinall is the real deal. And Curtis Blades might have to find out in this fight. I think Curtis is one of the best fighters in the UFC, but I think he's just fighting a guy right now in Tom Aspinall who's surging, and I think if not now, he will be at the top at some point. The fight odds are really close. Tom Aspinall is a minus 130 favorite, and Curtis Blades is plus 110, and I just think Tom Aspinall wins this fight, and I think he's going to finish this fight. You know, Curtis Blades is an amazing wrestler, so I'm not going to say he's not going to win. I think it's definitely possible because uh, Curtis Blades' wrestling has stopped some great fighters before. I mean, what he did to Alistair Overeem, I'll never forget that one, just with those crazy elbows that just busted him up. And so because of like fights like that, I think that Curtis Blades has the potential to dominate anybody he fights, including the current champion, uh, Francis Ngannou, even though he's lost to him twice. But uh, in this one, he goes up against Aspinall. I don't know. I just think this one ain't it. I think Aspinall is the real deal. I think his takedown defense is incredible. And even if it isn't, I think his jiu-jitsu is world-class. I mean, people think just because he's British, he's not good on the ground. But Tom Aspinall started with jiu-jitsu. So he's a jiu-jitsu black belt. And I think, uh, you know, yeah, he's a jiu-jitsu black belt in England. But his... His background's legit. I think it's as legit as you could get. His dad was one of the first uh, jiu-jitsu black belts in England. And along with his great ground game, he obviously is insane on the feet. His hands are faster than almost anybody in the division. And uh, I just think that Curtis is going to have a hard time really closing the distance to get a takedown. Because Aspinall's just so fast. I think he's going to clip him coming in with an elbow, an uppercut, just something. I think he's really going to catch him coming in. And I think this one's going to be a Tom Aspinall win by knockout. And the heavyweight division always tends to be a little bit clogged up at the top. So we'll see what happens if Aspinall wins this fight. But me and Tiz did agree on that. I know Tiz likes Tom Aspinall almost just as much as I do, I think. So we both got Tom Aspinall in this main event. 
And uh, guess moving on to the co-main, it's a shame that Darren Till is not fighting Jack Hermanson. But nonetheless, I'm happy that he's not because I think Jack Hermanson sadly would have won that fight. But um, he's fighting the late replacement in Chris Curtis. And Chris Curtis, you know, he's been on a surge since coming into the UFC. You know, his first UFC fight was a short notice. Well, actually, was it short? I don't think it was short. It was short notice initially when the fight got booked. But then I think it got canceled because Phil Hawes uh, wanted to delay it. But then Phil Hawes got knocked out by Chris Curtis. Uh, I think it was like UFC one or 268 in Madison Square Garden. But Chris Curtis since then has looked just absolutely incredible too. And he actually fought a few weeks back against Adolfo Fiera, who is a jiu-jitsu ace at 185. And he looked incredible against him. He was landing a lot of shots to the body. He was picking him apart. You know, Chris Curtis's striking is really incredible. And I think that that's going to make the difference against Jack Hermanson. Because Hermanson, he's really good on the ground. But he's definitely not better than Adolfo Vieira. Maybe wrestling-wise he is, but definitely not like jujitsu wise And because of that, I don't see him being able to submit Chris Curtis. And I just think Chris Curtis has a lot of things going for him. Like I think he's got a lot of confidence right now. He really, like I said, has been coming into his own. But uh, I just think he, he's going to be hitting Jack Hermanson a lot as Hermanson's coming in. A lot like uh, I think Aspinall is going to be doing the blades. But I think the thing is with this one... Chris Curtis hits hard, he's faster, and Hermanson, when he's on the feet, he does tend to like leave his head in, on the center line sometimes, or just lead with his head, which is not a good idea against a guy who has as much pop in his punches as Chris Curtis does. So I think that Chris Curtis is going to be able to win this fight, whether it be by TKO or by decision, I'm not really sure, but uh, I think it's going to be Chris Curtis. I guess just to take a quick look at the odds for this fight... Before uh, I continue, if I can even find, there we are. Wow, this one's a pick'em. Okay, so this one's a pick'em. Yeah, so because of that, I'm gonna go with Chris Curtis. I think that it's the way to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pick'em. So there's not really, I guess, too much money to be made either way. We'll see if that changes though throughout the week. Because obviously, at the time I'm recording this on Monday morning, so obviously uh, you guys are seeing this Monday night. But uh, the odds always tend to change during the week as more people bet on them, as me and Tiz have told you guys on this pod. But, uh, yeah, I think Chris Curtis is the way to go with this one. And had to talk about this fight. Patty the Batty is back against Jordan Levitt. Now, coming into this one, I wasn't really as sure about who was going to win this one. You know, uh, the UFC was doing Patty a lot of favors with his first couple matchups. But this one, they're really not. This is another good prospect in Jordan Levitt. Um Another guy who is just as good at grappling, pretty much, if honestly, if not better than Patty, but I think it's actually pretty close. I think Levitt's wrestling is probably better than Patty's, but I think sometimes he uh, leaves his neck open, like for guillotines or other just just other submissions, and I think he's like a little bit error prone on the ground compared to Patty. But uh, Patty sometimes on the feet is a little bit error prone. But so is Jordan Levitt. Like I said, this is a, this is a matchup between two young guys. They both still have like room to improve. But it makes a lot of sense where we're at right now. I mean, it would be something to see Jordan Levitt twerk over Patty Pimblett after choking him unconscious in his home country. But I don't think that that's going to happen. Now, by the way, for those of you guys who aren't hardcore MMA fans, Jordan Levitt 
is uh, quite the interesting character. He's very well-spoken, and every time after he wins, he usually does some sort of crazy dance. He, uh, he's very good at twerking for a guy. Um, but hey, to each their own, you know. I'm, who am I to judge how you celebrate winning a fight? Like if you choke someone out or knock someone out, like if you want to twerk, that's your deal. You know what I mean? And to see him do that in England would re- over Patty Pimblett in his home country would truly be something to, to watch. But... Uh, I don't think that that's going to happen just because I think that he's just a bit too error prone. And I think Patty, even though he's a little bit error prone on himself, like on the feet, I just think that he's even better at capitalizing on other people's mistakes. And I think that if Levitt gets him down and puts his neck or his arm in the wrong spot at any moment, I think that Patty's going to be able to get a submission. Or I think even on the feet, this is going to be kind of a slugfest, despite both of the guys being good from long range. I just think there's going to be a lot of kicks landed to the body by both guys, and that's going to lead to them getting a little bit tired. And it's just, I think it'll be a slugfest. And I think from there, Patty is the one who has the advantage because I think he hits a lot harder than Jordan Levitt. So, really, what it is, I just think Patty has more ways to win, and I think Levitt has, uh, has definitely more like spots where he's vulnerable. But Man, I'm I'm excited for it because they're both creative strikers. They're both really good grapplers. And UFC London is going to be incredible. The atmosphere in the UK is always insane with the UFC. And with uh, Tom Aspinall in the main event and Patty Pimblett on the card, I just... You you can't go wrong with that. London's going to be popping as it always is. Like I said, Tiz agrees with me with all three picks. So we got in these fights Aspinall, Curtis, and Pimblett. So... Hopefully you guys can make some money with those picks or any other picks that you guys end up seeing on uh, on whatever app you guys are betting on. But either way, uh, I will release my own picks on the Instagram later in the week. And I'm sure Tiz will release his on the Twitter at some point too. So with that, there's not really much else I wanted to talk about with MMA. Either way, though, it was just a crazy weekend in fights at UFC Long Island. And I guarantee next week is going to be just as insane after UFC London. So I guess I'll see you guys on the next Talking Tough. And then after that, I'll see you guys on the next Hurt Handbook. Back with Tiz.